Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. This week, I'm joined by Chuck Carlton of the Dallas Morning News. We're bringing Chuck on to talk a lot about Art Bryles and his return to coaching in the United States. The former Baylor coach was hired by an East Texas high school to lead the program there. Three years, almost to the day, after he was fired amid a scandal at Baylor, tied to the way the school and the football program handled allegations of sexual assault. We'll also venture into some other Big 12 topics, what's going on at the Big 12 meetings this week, some Texas stuff, and the weird case of Brew McCoy, the seemingly endless transfer of the wide receiver from USC to Texas and maybe now back. And Chuck will give a really, really early preview of the Big 12 Conference this year. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and just about anywhere you get your podcast. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. It helps us find more listeners and helps listeners find us. And as usual, you can go to collegefootball.ap.org where you can read all of AP's college football coverage. And away we go. Joining me this week and joining me for the first time on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast, at least I'm pretty sure this is the first time, Chuck Carlton from the Dallas Morning News. I uh, wanted to bring Chuck in because there's some things going on in Big 12 country, not all Big 12 news, but somewhat Big 12 related. So, Chuck, first of all, thank you very much for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. And, yes, it is my first time, so be gentle. So. <laughs> this is this is a, a family friendly podcast and a safe in <laughs> a safe space. Um, so so the, where I want to start, Chuck, and Big Twelve meetings are going on as we record this. You were at them today. We'll circle back and hit on some of those things today. It seems like like all the other college meetings, no matter where they're in Arizona or Destin or 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 Dallas Fort Worth area. Things are kind of sleepy around the country, or at least kind of quiet, and I'll knock wood as I say that. But the big news came last week, and it was Big 12-related, and it was certainly Texas-centric. And that is Art Bryles, the former Baylor coach, ousted amid a sexual assault scandal on the campus, is now back in coaching in not just in the United States, but in Texas, at a Texas high school. Were you surprised at all to see him back in the game in this capacity? Yeah, I was, or I guess surprised that this happened with such little fanfare until the Mount Vernon School Board voted 7 to nothing on the recommendation of the superintendent to make Art Bryles their football coach and, and superintendent. And if Mount Vernon doesn't exactly ring a bell, it's it's not a huge high school. It's 3A in, in a state where there are six classes of high school football, about two hours east, due east of uh, Dallas on Interstate 30, about uh, 50 miles north of Tyler, the home of Earl Campbell. And Mount Vernon's claim to fame up until about four days ago <laughs> was as the home of Dandy Don Meredith, you know, the former Cowboys quarterback and Monday night football icon and, and one-time actor and occasionally invoked by Dandy Don. But that was it, and now all of a sudden – it's really under the microscope, and you have the superintendent out today trying to defend 
not, not only the art browse hiring, but the vetting, everything that was involved in it, the, the questions aren't going away. It's it's that sort of critical mass that we've seen happen a lot of times with Art Bryles, whether it's the CFL, whether it's Southern Miss. I mean, he had been basically in exile coaching, uh, you know, pizza and wine league in in Florence, Italy, and and now all of a sudden he's he's back here coaching Texas, you know, Friday Night Lights for Art Bryles, where he won four state championships at Stephenville High School before going to the college ranks. I'm trying to get the dynamic here, and I know you, this is not necessarily a story that you've been working on because, again, you've been at the Big 12, but you know you know people who have been working on it, and you know the lay of the land there to a certain degree. Is The superintendent today mentioned how he talked with Grant Taff, and Grant Taff, for people who don't know, former Baylor coach, long time, was the, the great Baylor coach before Art Bryles, right? Before Art Bryles came in and resurrected that program, Grant Taft was sort of the standard bearer as Baylor coaches, and he is an elder statesman in coaching in Texas and around the country. He was the executive director of the American Football Coaches Association for a long time, which is based in Waco, basically because so was Grant Taft. And Grant Taft is obviously a guy who will vouch for Art Bryles. This story will sort of get pieced together in the next couple of days, but I wonder if you can enlighten us on it. What was the connection there? Is there any connection that's obvious between this superintendent, this school district, Taft, and Bryles, that this is the place where they would go to bat for Bryles? Exactly. Unless they felt they were so much under the radar, a team that had gone to the third round of the playoffs last year, just thinking about it in pure football terms and in small-town Texas terms of you know, legendary Art Bryles coaching at our school without, I mean, it's 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 almost, and I, and I know Mount Vernon has to have, like, TV and the Internet, but it's almost <laughs> like it doesn't, you know, that they aren't aware of things that have occurred in the last three years. And uh, all of a sudden now, amidst the blowback, they're basically acknowledging that outside of Grant Taft, they haven't talked to anybody outside of essentially arts references who who knows? Might have been Ken Starr, Ian McCaw, and Kendall Browse, for all we know. I mean, it's, it's, I'm sure they weren't people taking a critical eye. I, you know, the superintendent admitted, did not talk to any of the sexual assault victims from Baylor. Didn't well, talk to the can, Title can, IX coordinator. At, can I, at can I jump in? Let me jump in here for a second, Chuck, because I'm interested in your opinion on it, because I'll just give you my opinion on this, and we'll let, let it roll from there. I don't know if they really need to vet the victims here. I understand right. why you might want to do that, and I understand why it might look good, but I think it would be a good idea to go outside of Bryle's circle. And they mentioned talking to Grant Taft, and, and you sort of mentioned, too, like, well, they, they said there are other people they talked to. So I don't know if they need to necessarily go through the steps of talking to victims and things along those lines. I think some people might have that reasonable take. I, I just don't know if a, if a Texas high school, if that really matters. I, I just want to know, like, more of the why that gets into this and the balance between, you know, what exactly are you trying to accomplish here? Why do you feel that you have to bring him in? And again, if it's just to win football games, like really, like again, because like Mount Vernon is, doesn't seem to be aspiring to be a Texas state power, or maybe one day they woke up and decided, yes, we want to be a Texas state power. That's the connection here is why this, this came down and the way it did. And, and again, you know, that was 
Yeah, you know, I agree with you on the on the vetting of victims. That was just a TV question that was posed to the superintendent today, strictly. And mm-hmm. you know, did he talk to the NCAA? Well, that the NCAA isn't going to tell them anything. The Baylor investigation is ongoing at this point, uh, but you could have talked to Title IX people at Baylor during the time that Art Bryles was there. Uh, certainly, maybe if you're trying to gauge the temperature of this hire, you call somebody like Brenda Tracy who's a sexual assault survivor and and an an advocate for, you know, the victims of sexual assault who speaks regularly to college programs across the country, even spoke at Baylor once. So that those are the sorts of people if you're gonna jump into the deep end of the hiring pool, which is what Mount Vernon did, then you've gotta have your ducks in a row. And at the very least, again, why the why hasn't been tossed out there outside of the fact that Art Browse is one heck of a football coach. Well, we've known that. You know, the Hamilton Tiger Cats knew that. The, you know, Southern Miss, when they were looking for an offensive coordinator, knew that. And that's that's not good enough. And we're trying to figure out why you put yourself out there unless you really thought that you were so under the radar that things had died down. And and in the wake, you know, just what happened in Southern Miss a few week, year, uh, a few months ago, it clearly had not. But, yeah, at the root of the question is the why. You know, why Why are they doing this? What is the thought process? What led seven upstanding members of the community to all sign off on this in terms of the school board? Did anybody raise their hand and go, excuse me, you know, we might want to reconsider this. You know, there are other good high school coaches in the state of Texas. It's kind of a hotbed for this. You know, <laughs> we can we can find people. Why are we going in this direction with this guy at this time? That was one of the great points made by one of your colleagues, Tim Collishaw, wrote that column. I mean, I'm sure he's not the only one, but I read that one, which is if I am a high school coach in Texas with, you know, an up-and-coming guy with, with a good resume and certainly and a, and a pretty clean record, like, I am looking at this going, what happened to me? Like, wh- why can't I get that gig? And that's one of the things that, that's kind of weird to me about a hire like this. Aside from you can make a bunch of is it moral, is it ethical, is it this, is it that. But there's also an element of, you know, there's a lot of people out there who don't have this stain on their record. And also, by the way, who aren't already multimillionaire 60-year-olds. Like, so people say, well, doesn't he deserve another chance? And I'm all for second chances. But I tend to be a little more for second chances for people who sort of need them. I don't want to throw a life away for a 19-year-old who makes a terrible mistake. And I use the, the comparison to Joe Mixon, right, who did a terrible thing at Oklahoma. But at 19, 20 years old, I, I can sort of see, like, okay, do I really want to throw this guy away? And, and maybe it's worth giving this person another chance because the, the, there is – so much room for redemption, whereas a guy like Art Bryles has lived a full life and been to the top of the mountain and made millions of dollars and been in the Big 12, and he screwed that up, and it's okay for him to sort of live out his life on his millions, right? <laughs> or, or, or be like Napoleon in, you know, at Elba, basically coaching in Italy in exile or right. like that. I mean, right. a settlement from Baylor, to give you some idea— is uh, fifteen point was fifteen point one million dollars even after legal fees and taxes? You, Art Browns will be just fine. You know that's 
that, that that's a question here and, and, and a point in talking to people that was made clear to me when if you're thinking, well, Art Briles got a raw deal, all this sort of thing at Baylor. All right, Baylor itself, this is not from, you know, uh you know, opposing lawyers in civil litigation. Baylor itself, its regents, Pepper Hamilton have acknowledged that from two thousand eleven to two thousand sixteen under Art Briles, there were seventeen cases of either Sexual assault or domestic violence by Baylor football play by 19 Baylor football players, including four documented gang rapes. Yeah. You know, think about that. And and I know there are people who say, well, that happens everywhere. No, it doesn't happen everywhere. And even if it was a school wide problem, it doesn't happen to that extreme with a football program. If you add all the other male sports of Baylor together, baseball, men's basketball, uh, track and field, which has large participation numbers, put them all together, you come nowhere close to what was going on with the football program here. And Art Prowls was the guy at the top. I mean, he was the fact that Baylor, the Baylor Regents, looked at the Pepper-Hamilton report that they had commissioned and decided to get rid of Art Bryles. And remember, trying to put this in perspective, and people's memories may have dimmed and all this sort of thing, Art Bryles won consecutive Big 12 championships. He had Baylor fifth in the first college football playoff rankings, one step short of the playoff. Mm -hmm. He beat Texas four out of five years. He beat Oklahoma three out of four years. One of the worst meetings I've ever seen a Bob Stoops coach team absorb was like by, you know, 38-17 in Norman by an Art Bryles team where fans are booing in the third quarter on. I mean, that that these things didn't happen at Baylor. This was the this was the guy who had brought him back. And for the Board of Regents to get rid of Art Bryles, it could have been just because of a few rough feathers. It had to be stuff that they looked at and said, we can't go any further with this guy. An interesting point when we start talking about who Mount Vernon and the superintendent there should have spoken with. I'd be interested to know if they made any effort to talk to Mac Rhodes, the current AD at Baylor, and Matt Rule, the current football coach at Baylor. Off the record conversation with those two gentlemen, because I think that all, both of them have been very sort of tried to be as respectful as possible to the previous administration. In other words, clearly mistakes were made. We're moving on. And they have not come out publicly and sort of aired a lot of dirty laundry because those were the two guys or two of the people who walked into that situation and with the task of, hey, clean this up. You cover all the Texas Big 12 schools to a certain degree, but you're near enough to those programs. And I'm wondering what you hear from those guys on the record, from maybe talking to people in those programs off the record, about what was sort of left behind to clean up. Because, I, you know, I certainly, you try to do some reporting and you hear some things about just sort of the mess that was left behind at Baylor. Oh, clearly there was a whole lot of cleanup involved. And, yes, you had Jim Grobe for one year coming in as, and this is probably unfair to Jim Grobe, who was, who by all accounts is a very decent man, but he was a substitute teacher, you know, for a year as a head football coach. And you even had kind of a revolt by assistants against the Board of Regents, who after outlining some of the transgressions of Bryles, remember this was essentially Bryles' staff, you know, his son and son-in-law on the staff. And you had uh, a a blackout game at Baylor turned into fans wearing, you know, 
CAB shirts, short for Coach Art Brow shirts. Mm-hmm. That's it was Twilight Zone time, and Matt Rule's a very solid guy and come in, but he had some heavy lifting to do. He had to. He lost a recruiting class. He had people there. He had to make it clear that this is acceptable and this isn't acceptable, and that hadn't been done in the past and uh, on a whole lot of areas. And Mac Rhodes, who's a solid guy, came in, and I know Mac Rhodes was asked about this just within, I believe, the last 24 hours on the uh, on the Art Brile situation, and basically he's saying. I want to talk about what's going on at Baylor now. I want to talk about the coaches we have, the progress we're making football program with the trip to a bowl game after a one-win season under Matt, you know, Matt Rule, Matt Rule's second year. There was no inclination at all to revisit the Art Bryles era on the part of Mac Rhodes, I can tell you that much. And uh, and why? You know, if you're Baylor, yes, Matt Rule has said any number of times, you have to acknowledge everything that went on and some of the horrific things that went on and, you know, think of the victims and make sure these don't reoccur. But you also have to move forward with guys now who weren't part of that team, you know, didn't play for Art Bryles, weren't recruited by Art Bryles. And that's kind of the mindset at Baylor, if that makes any sense. No, it does. And again, I think you hear part of the, you know, having the job that we're in, and, and again, you're very Texas and Big 12-centric, but your scope is beyond just the teams in front of you. And from a national perspective, you end up sort of hearing things and you talk to co- coaches who know the coaches at Baylor. There's this stream of like, boy, like the cleanup was so hard there. There was just so little structure, so little discipline in that program. And forget, I pause to say this. He said, like, let's put aside all the worst things and the worst allegations. But there's just there was just no structure there what, for whatsoever. So you could sort of see how things could very much go off the rails there. And I think that's one of the things that I, I'd be so curious to know if those folks in Mount Vernon would talk to the the people who, who were be left behind at Baylor to fix things, to get that perspective of what was going on. Because I can understand, well, I can't understand it, but I could see a situation where Bryles has people like Grant Taft vouching for him and maybe some other boosters there vouching for him and can sort of play this narrative of, listen, Art was a scapegoat, maybe he made some mistakes, but there were huge problems throughout the university, and maybe the problems weren't even that bad, and somehow Art Bryles looks like a victim, and that they look at that situation and say, well, he deserves another chance because you know, he got a raw deal. I just wonder how much of that story is being told at Mount Vernon leading up to the hiring of Art Bryles is that suddenly it becomes, you have a bunch of folks who think, yeah, you know, that media turned against Art Bryles and the the board turned against Art Bryles and the regents were against Art Bryles and that report was not all it was cracked up to be and they were just looking for a scapegoat and, and Doug Garnet Art deserves another chance. I would love to know just how much of that might be going around Mount Vernon these days. Oh, exactly. And they're, you know, if you want to go bigger picture on this, you're talking, you know, uh, a conservative Texas town that maybe has no love for the media and certainly feels now that it's probably under the media microscope. And and there has been from browse backers, and there still are people, just tweet about this story, that, that one you, know, you, you hear, doesn't Art Browse deserve a second chance? And you're going, 
Yeah, but does he deserve this second chance? Yes, we're a nation of second chances, but again, this isn't the the destitute guy who this was the guy who was at the top of the mountain and came crashing down in large part because of things that decisions he either made or things he condoned. I mean, there is you know, a a transcript, you know, of of Art Bryles hearing about, you know, a gang rape by his football players of another student athlete at Baylor. And his reaction is, those are some pretty bad dudes. Why was she hanging out with them? That's public record. Think about that. There's a very chilling story in, uh, and I, I meant to look up either the Texas Tribune or Texas Monthly. You can, people can Google it, of when Art was coaching at Stephenville, and one of his top players there, you know, on a state championship contender, was. Con- you know, was accused of rape by another girl in the high school, you know, a, a standout student. And it's a fairly chilling account of, and you can see, okay, based on this, connect the dots to to Baylor. There are things that if you are even just, if you have access to Google at Mount Vernon, you, you shake your head a little bit, you know, <laughs> uh, and you just wonder, was this simply a case, hey, we got a chance to hire Art Bryles, you know, I mean, there there doesn't seem to be a strong Baylor connection, doesn't seem to be a strong Stephenville connection. Heck, the University of Houston, where where Art coached, or Texas Tech, where he was an assistant under under Mike Leach, you know, none of these things seem to be coming back. And and again, you know, sociology, Friday Night Lights, and football, the importance of football in a small town. But this isn't like some town trying to reclaim, you know, like. You know him being hired at uh, uh, Odessa Permian, mm-hmm. you know the, right. the genesis of Friday Night Lights, or some of you know, are are one of the great Tyler schools, that sort of thing, or you know uh, South Lake Carroll in the Dallas area, which mm-hmm. was a, a juggernaut. It's not like that. And and again, I'm not. I, there are more questions. You know, I, I as I'm even talking to you, I'm just saying there are a lot more questions now than answers about this whole process. Let me ask you this, and again, we're super early in this, so I don't necessarily expect you to have a definitive answer more than just a a gut feel. Somebody asked me about this, and I had said, well, the one thing that could change this is local. I don't think those folks will respond to Twitter outrage or national media descending on them. In fact, if anything, that'll probably make them steal their backs a little bit. But if you think there could be a back out here, it would have to come locally. Is there any sense that there is any sort of uprising within Mount Vernon, within the community there, to look at the folks who hired him and say, huh? Because that's what ended up happening at Southern Miss to a certain degree. At Southern Miss, at a certain point, it was the local community boosters for Southern Miss going through the athletic director saying, uh-uh, no, 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 we're not doing this. So I'm wondering if, if there's a local uprising, so to speak, against Bryles that could be possible here. Right, and and even with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, it was not only local fans, but Theo Fleury, who was uh, you know a, a big time NHL All Star player who had a sexual abuse in his past, had been sexually abused as a as a junior hockey player, coming out and saying that, and he's an icon in Canada, and some of the CFL's big advertisers going, excuse me, there doesn't seem, and again. Um, you know, there's the kind of the awkward TV interview today, and there's further statements being released and clarifications. But so far, there doesn't seem to be that, you know, 
pickets in front, people saying we can't have this in this town, and maybe it is behind the scenes. Maybe phone calls are being made, but it was a unanimous vote by the school board. So there's going to be have to be a, more than a few people changing their minds on this, and that's going to be the thing. You know, I I think we're right now. If if strange as it sounds, if this decision survives the first 72 hours, the first week, the first two weeks, then yes, you probably see Art Briles on the sidelines for Mount Vernon's opener next year with Sports Illustrated and the New York Times and USA Today and the Dallas Morning News mm-hmm. and ESPN and everybody else. No, I know, trying to crowd in press box. I couldn't agree with you more. I actually think that unless there's a, a pivot point here in the next couple of days, and I don't think there will, my sense of it, just a long range gut feeling, is that there might there might not be. I think there will be a little pocket of outrage now, and there'll be some stories up around it the first game or so, and then you know the fact of the matter is it's Mount Vernon, and a lot very few people care about Mount Vernon around the country, and maybe even not that much in Texas. So I think that. If their strategy is at some point we'll just blend into the woodwork and we'll fade away, to a certain degree, they are probably right. All right, Chuck, let me do one quick thing here. I'm going to take a quick break on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. We have exhausted our priors. I want to get on to some better topics. We'll talk a little Big 12 and some Texas and some crazy transfer portal stuff with Chuck Carlton from the Dallas Morning News right after this. And we're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I am joined by Chuck Carlton from the Dallas Morning News. We did a lot of talk on Art Bryles and the sort of surprising hire of him back at in a Texas high school. Happened last week, and they're still in the news. And I, I, as Chuck said, I think if we can get through the next 72 hours or so, I think that story will fade away. And I wasn't entirely shocked that he ended up back in a Texas high school. I, I just Art's got a lot of friends in Texas. But the Big 12 meetings are also going on this week. And, again, it's been a somewhat sleepy offseason, and I will find some wood to knock on that. What's going on in Big 12 country? Was there anything particularly interesting or particularly juicy being talked about in the hallways there at the uh, airport? Isn't that the airport Marriott that they hold those things? Oh, no, not anymore. It's the Four Seasons. Oh, well, of course, yeah. Yes, Much the, too nice. which also hosts the uh, has hosted the NFL owners meetings, has hosted Major League Baseball meetings. Uh, it's very understated elegance there, and <laughs> and was the home of the Byron Nelson until uh, golf tournament until recently as well. So that gives you some idea of where these people are meeting and where we're trying to scope out hallways and skulk around as as media types. But for once, the Big Twelve isn't talking about psychological disadvantage they're not talking about you know hey why can't we have our own tv network here why how about expansion why don't we just ask everybody who wants to join the big 12 to please send us a video pitch like some sort of you know dating dating reality show that you know my college age daughter loves to watch Mm -hmm. you know that sort of thing yes this this has been the big 12 kind of the dysfunctional Conference. I mean, yes, it's the same thing. They're discussing the same things that other conferences are talking about. You know, what's going to happen in their case in 2025 when the TV contracts expire? They've got a digital network of sorts going on ESPN Plus starting up that will include everybody except Texas and Oklahoma, and maybe the framework for something more going forward into 2025. You've got name, image, and likeness, which I don't know how much. I mean, I think with the ordinary fan, it's more more or less, hey, do we get our video game back? 
Yeah, that's kind of the feeling about name, image, and likeness. (laughs) Beyond that, their eyes gloss over, but Bob Bowlesby is one of the people on the NCAA working group that has to return a report in October. So he's not going to have much of a summer, to be honest with you. And these are the sorts of things. I mean, the Big 12 right now has a championship game. Oklahoma's won four straight college football, uh, you know, four straight titles and represent the, uh, you know, they're still looking for their first win in the college football playoff. You know, talk about, you know, that basically came out of Phoenix. Is Texas really back? Are we going to see a lot of Oklahoma, Texas, uh, you know, repeat matchups in the title game, which was pretty entertaining this year, to be honest, Mm -hmm. both in the buildup and then in the actual game. So, yeah, these are the sorts of things being talked about. You actually have the basketball coaches uh, meeting uh, today and tomorrow. I know this football podcast, but look for some, uh, you know, uh, uh, a bit of column goodness from Chris Beard, the Texas Tech coach, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, on DallasNews.com. And then probably shifting gears into where the Big 12 stands, which is a lot better than it stood just two or three or four years ago. And a lot of credit to Gordon Gee, the president at West Virginia, who I think has been a very proactive, uh, you know, head of the uh, board of directors, the CEOs, the presidents and chancellors in the Big 12. Friday, they will announce, you know, will be the big headline, the financial distributions on a per school basis. Look for the Big 12 to be, you know, around 40 million, give or take. And that will be not counting third-tier rights, and that will put the Big 12 squarely behind the SEC and Big Ten, but ahead of the ACC and ahead of the Pac-12. So, yeah, it's a it's a peaceful time in the Big 12, and some money's coming in, so there are no conference-level issues. One interesting story that sort of popped up in the last couple of days that's uh, very Texas-centric, and I say that as the not the state of, but the university of. And I'm wondering if you gained any insight about this, if maybe Tom Herman was walking around the hallways or Chris Del Conte. It looks like Brew McCoy, the wide receiver from USC, who decided to bail on USC not long after he got there. He is, he is a freshman who has not even played a game, and he, and he enrolled early and decided after Cliff Kingsbury was hired and then left USC to bounce to Texas and transfer down there. Now it looks like he's transferring back to USC. I don't even know what this means for the NCAA rules of this, if he has any chance of getting a waiver and playing or what this means. But what's the buzz on that story and what exactly happened at Texas that makes this kid want to go back to California? Yeah, if if there's going to be a cover boy for the transfer portal, at least early <laughs> on. I mean, Drew McCoy is state, you know, staking his claim. He certainly spent so people, a lot of time in there. <laughs> yes, yeah. This is this is kind of like one of those glitches on the Star Trek Transformer, where all of a sudden, you know, two Captain Kirks would show up, one good, one evil, or the you know the Stargate <laughs> SG One guys, you know, Richard D. Anderson would get lost in transit. Uh, and yes, I watched too much science fiction, you know, <laughs> during my non-formative years. But anyway. Uh, just so people know, Brew McCoy just isn't another recruit. He was legitimately a five-star consensus recruit out of Santa Ana Modern Day High School, uh, ranked as both a potential rush defensive end as well as a playmaking big wide receiver. That's what you know. He had wide receiver written all over him. Commits to USC in a big recruiting win for Clay Helton 
when Cliff Kingsbury is the offense coordinator. Cliff Kingsbury exits for the Arizona Cardinals. There is a significant delay in naming his successor. Drew McCoy, who is enrolled in January at USC, leaves after two weeks and heads to Texas, which gives Texas a top three recruiting class and a possible chance to replace uh, little Jordan Humphrey as that big-time receiver. And gets to Texas, and by all accounts, they're raving about him. You know, in what he's doing in the spring, he's enrolled in classes. Yeah, you've got 25, 30-mile-an-hour wins in spring games, so the passing game is essentially grounded. But certainly, everybody's gushing about this kid, his potential, his upside, what he brings. And then, all of a sudden, now, uh, broken by the USC 24-7 website, is that it looks like he's headed back to USC. Is it the appeal of Graham, Graham Harrell as the offense coordinator? Is it homesickness, which is always the case? Is it, did he somehow not feel a fit at, at Texas? And he's, you know, to be clear, he has not entered the transfer portal. Um, he has not weighed in one way or the other. I mean, let's face it, in this day and age on Twitter, if a player wants to knock down rumors, it's pretty easy to do so. That hasn't occurred. Um, and according to various reports and what I'm hearing, he's still in California, even though Texas has started the, the quote, voluntary, you know, off-season training mm-hmm. uh, on Monday. He's still out there. What's going to happen? Where is this going to lead? And, and again, as you said, uh, a big-time recruit, a guy who could make an impact right away, but he had gone from – USC to Texas was going to need to file a waiver with the NCAA. And as you have well documented, you know, they're up in the high 70s on approving those waivers. And he had a case with Cliff Kingsbury leaving. But now if he exits Texas after spending a semester there and going through spring practice and goes back to USC, does he need two waivers, one waiver, zero <laughs> no, waivers? No, he, is he guaranteed to lose a year? Not yeah, I don't even know what the rules are on this. It, like, it, there might be a situation where, with this all this back and forth, where he might not even be able to apply for a waiver. But then, who knows? Maybe there's something within all the machinations that went on, and like, I don't even know where to start on this one. I, I mean, no, I do know where to start. I'll have to ask the NCAA because the idea of like reading through the rule book to figure this one out, there's no way I'm doing that. I, I even wonder, you know, until we got to the transfer portal stage. The NCAA had ever considered this? Has this ever come up before? Right. Maybe it has when somebody hasn't even played a game yet. Right. When you think about this, hasn't even gone through a redshirt season yet. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the situation that, that we're approaching here. I mean, you, you don't want to speculate this. You know, the, the, the young man seems to have a lot of things that he's trying to weigh right now, but the longer that he's in, you know, in uh, at home in California and not in Austin, the more you think that yes, he may be headed back there. Yeah, it is an interesting, interesting deal. What's going on with Brew? Last quick thought, and it's you know, listen, it's May, so I'm not going to hold you to any of this here, Chuck. But Oklahoma is clearly going to be the favorite in the Big Twelve because that's what Oklahoma does, and they have Jalen Hurts, and which makes him a Heisman Trophy front runner because that's what Oklahoma does as well under Lincoln Riley. Texas is back. Sam Ellinger said it, and as much as and as much as we laugh about that, I, it does look like they are back to a, to the degree that they should be good. I, I don't think there's any 
worries that this thing is going to backslide. Who knows? Maybe it will. But it looks like Tom Herman has finally got it to a point where we're pretty confident Texas is going to be pretty good for the near future. That leaves like where else the Big 12 goes. And the Big 12 was was pretty deep last year. It, it's been a league that has built up a reputation for having sort of a good middle, a good sturdy second tier. Who's in that second tier this year? Because West Virginia's got some rebuilding and TCU has some questions and Baylor could be on the rise, but there's also a lot to, a lot of work to be done over at Baylor. And we don't know what Texas Tech is going to look like under Matt Wells. And Kansas has a new coach and so does Kansas State. So lots of transition. On May 28th, who do you think is like the third and fourth best teams in the Big 12? Yeah, I was putting together my that ran earlier this month in the Dallas Morning News, my power rankings way too early or maybe not way too early, given the fact that we already have top 25 preview <laughs> magazines on the newsstand. But, yeah, clearly Oklahoma 1, Texas 2 established. And I think pretty much on a consensus basis, you're going to see Iowa State in number three. Matt you know, it's a good point. I, I, and I, you know what? Silly me, because I sort of half forgot about Even in running down all, all of almost what I thought was all of the teams – in the Big 12, I forgot about Iowa State, and you're right. That's probably your number three team, aren't they? Yeah, Brock Purdy, who, who actually had a really solid freshman year as a quarterback, uh, all five offensive line starters. Yes, they lose some people on defense, but that's that's a defense that sh- has shown that playing the three three five, they can actually stymie some of those Big 12 spread offenses. And, and yes, David Montgomery is no longer there to you know, lead the nation in yards after contact. And, and Keem Butler is, is on his way to the NFL. And I guess the question is, has Matt Campbell got the pieces in place, has recruited well enough, developed well enough now that he can replace those guys? I mean, people don't realize that winning you know, eight wins in consecutive years at Iowa State, that's significant here. I mean, Dan McCartney had a nice little run. But before that, yeah, that's a hard place to coach and sustain and win consistently at, and Matt Campbell has done that. And then my question is, between four and nine, there's a whole lot of question marks. I mean, with all due respect to Les Miles, this is going to be a long rebuilding process in Kansas. Put the Jayhawks at 10. But four through nine, you can make a case for almost anybody in that group, especially with four new coaches in the Big 12, 40% of the conference. Do you believe, I mean, every year that, you know, Gary Patterson's teams have fallen off, invariably, they have come back and won double-figure games. Do you believe that? They've got six quarterbacks now in the quarterback room, you know, and a <laughs> so lot one of, of them has to be able to play, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. you would think so. You know, Sonny Cumbie gets one of those guys. Uh to play, you mentioned Baylor. What Matt Rule has done, going from one win to seven, but even Matt, and they've got a solid quarterback in Charlie Brewer. But even Matt Rule said the hard part is going from the seven to ten, not to one to seven. You know that that's you know taking that step and being in that elite group in the in the Big Twelve. I mean, they've got a very soft uh, non-conference schedule. They'll be three and zero, so that's a question mark. Uh, I think Neil Brown, long-term, is going to have success at West Virginia. But short-term, I'm just not sure. You know, there's a lot of talent left for the NFL. Five guys drafted by the NFL and some other pretty, you know, pretty talented guys who were free agents out there. So, you, you, 
kind of wonder about that. Uh, of of all the new coaches, the guy who might have the – and I don't want to be Texas-centric on this, but the guy who might have the best chance for initial success is uh, Matt Wells at Texas Tech. And remember the name Alan Bowman, mm. who was actually leading the nation in passing, uh, a freshman who had stepped in there. Texas Tech is 5-2 and two and leading Oklahoma 28-24. At, at halftime, at night in Lubbock, when all of a sudden he has a reoccurrence of a collapsed lung. Never plays another down. Texas Tech doesn't win another game. I mean, that totally changed everything. Cliff Kingsbury's gone. Matt Wells in from Utah State. And they won't be total air raid. But David Jost, the offensive coordinator, the guy who, you know, coached you know, Chase Daniel and Brad Smith and Blaine Gabbert in Missouri and was with Leach at Washington State, knows his way around an offense. This is going to be a very quarterback-friendly offense for Alan Bowman. Chuck Carlton from the Dallas Morning News with a, an excellent breakdown of the Big 12 in late May. When again, we're not going to hold you to any of that there, Chuck. So you have some time to you have some time to change your mind and revise your thoughts, but uh hey, listen, Chuck, uh, I really appreciate the insight on Art Briles and breaking down some things in the Big 12. Hopefully, we will run into each other in person, be it in Texas or some other site of some game or or meeting or or playoff matchup in the uh, relatively near future. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it, Ralph. And now, three and out. First down. The SEC brought in the international accounting firm, Deloitte, to perform a review of the league's officiating during this past offseason. In part, the conference was motivated by the intense scrutiny being placed on officials, often by media and fans that aren't so well informed about what they are criticizing. A plan is coming into place, but the SEC has decided it needs to push back on the public narrative that the officiating is terrible. Commissioner Greg Sankey told me the SEC has plans to use its network and online presence to counterbalance some of the criticism and provide some insight and education about officiating. I like the strategy. Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows I cannot stand the constant complaining about officiating in all sports, but especially in college football. I get that mistakes are made. Often they are big ones. But fans have become so hypercritical and conspiratorial that it is hard to take any of the complaints seriously. So I pretty much stopped listening. Second down. Depending on where you get your odds, Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa is the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. Tua was runner-up last year, and he had been behind Trevor Lawrence, the Clemson quarterback, according to odds makers for much of the offseason. But for some reason, they recently flipped, and now Tua is the frontrunner. Crazy to talk Heisman in May, but I'll give you one thought. If the competition is close... I think Tua gets the benefit of the doubt because he was close to winning last year, and this will be most likely his last opportunity if he stays healthy and ends up going to the NFL after his junior year. Also, if you're looking for a decent play down the board, Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert and Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger are both 16-1 to odds to win the Heisman. Shea Patterson, the Michigan quarterback, at 25-1 to would probably also be worth a flyer. Third down. 
One note about five-star basketball player R.J. Hampton deciding to play in an Australian pro league instead of college next season. I think it's good for college basketball in the NCAA. Last year when the Rice Report came out, it stressed the need for creating clear and separate paths for elite basketball players. A pro path, a collegiate path. Leaders in college sports want more viable choices to emerge for star athletes to choose from. If there are more ways than just college basketball to have a pro career and ultimately reach the NBA, it allows the NCAA to defend its amateurism model and say, if you don't like this, you don't have to choose it. Feel free to go somewhere else, but this is how we're going to run things here. That's starting to develop in basketball, though we're a long way from having that in football. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and at Podcast One and just about anywhere else you download your podcast. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.